Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to Sunday Take on April 2nd, 2023. Yesterday, we woke up with a blizzard. Today, we wake up to hopefully 50 degrees. The legislature is going to take a week off, so we'll catch up on two key issues with two smart people. Larry Jacobs will be our first guest. He's going to talk about a new study from the Humphrey Institute on ranked choice voting and why it does not live up to the promises that advocates claim it does. And then we'll talk to Peter Callahan. I'm Blaise Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Joining me now is Professor Larry Jacobs from the Humphrey Institute at the University of Minnesota. Professor Jacobs, thanks for joining me. Great to be with you. Well, yeah, Wednesday night. And then yesterday we published it, Morning Take. Uh, you uh, and an associate put out a study about ranked choice voting, which frankly is a, is a topic I get a lot of questions about. Can you give our listeners the professorial explanation of what ranked choice voting is before we get to the study? Sure. All of us uh, have the experience who've been voting of having to choose between the Democrat or Republican. A or B. Ranked choice voting says, give you a list of candidates and you rank them. So you can rank your top choice, your second top choice, 
your third top choice. And that means that you're not wasting your vote for a candidate that you don't like. You can actually express your preferences. And uh, the idea is it's supposed to make the elections a little more um, civil because, you know, the, the candidate who is uh, campaigning doesn't want to turn off voters who might rank them as their second choice. And that can be important in close races. It's supposed to excite voters and, and really gin up turnout. And we've heard about this theory. I was talking to somebody else for 15 or so years. We have it in Minneapolis. We have it in St. Paul. We have it in St. Louis Park, in Duluth. So it's been tested on a local level. Uh, and one of the things that I've, I've been a skeptic is, has it changed things? And what I, what I sense and what I was interested to see and want to talk about is you guys did a scan of research and results related to ranked choice voting uh, and published it. What, did it. what did your research find? Yeah, so just to be clear, we're not pro or con. Right. We're kind of geeky academics who said, here's the research going on all over the country. And these studies are basically saying that there's not evidence for these strong claims by the advocates for ranked choice voting. It's not really decreasing negativity. Yeah, it goes down, uh, you know, with the news media in terms of newspapers, but it's going up on social media. Um, We're not seeing really a huge change in negativity. It's not increasing uh, the election or participation of voters of color. You just kind of go down the list and there's just not a lot of evidence for these strong claims that are being made for the advocates of ranked choice voting. As a geeky academic, you called yourself that, so I'm I'm just reiterating. Yeah, that. Um, I'm proud to be one. <laughs> that, that's good. Um, one of the things that that I think has, you know, and you look at this, and I think juxtaposed against this study and the RCV claims is the negative campaigning or the negative tone in campaigning. Um, What I mean, we've seen social media's impact. What is the trend in kind of negative campaigning or news media coverage of negative campaigning? Because we used to see all these ads and we still see a lot of ads, but social media and targeting and digital has changed that dynamic, too. From a research wise, what is what is the status of negative campaigning and why do you think that RCV hasn't had an impact on it? Well, I mean, it. We used to have occasionally, you know, negative ads. And these are ads that really call into question the character of the candidates, um, question their basic values, their qualities as human beings. It used to focus more on policy. You know, we disagree on this issue. Um, and, you know, you can kind of see a progression over time. Ranked choice voting, we thought, might reduce that because, again, the incentives are be friendly. You know, don't turn off yep. uh, voters who might cast a second place vote for you. But we're just not seeing that, particularly in terms of social media. A bit, we're seeing that a bit in terms of the newspapers. But as, as you know, the readership of newspapers is not great. Correct. Um, well, and that's the other thing is people are getting their news in so many different ways now. I mean, we're on radio and I know that I I know that Sunday Take has as, almost as many listeners online in a podcast as it does on the air, and and so people are choosing their uh, piece differently. One of the other claims that ranked choice advocates have made is about turnout that more people would vote because they'd be more engaged in election. 
Is that evident? Yeah. And and I th- and I also want to say, across where where else is ranked choice that you looked at this, not just in Minnesota? Oh yeah, this is the national research going on. California's done it. Maine's done it. Um, it's 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 picked up steam, and so there's a lot of ways in which we can kind of ask the question: Is ranked choice delivering on, let's say, turnout? Um, and we're not seeing that increase in turnout. And you know, part of it is that ranked choice voting is more complicated. Um, you've got to go to the voting booth. You've got to know quite a bit about a number of candidates, and then you rank them. And we're seeing a good number of voters making errors or just getting flustered, looking at it, not really understanding how to do it. The advocates say, well, give voters a chance, give them more time, and they'll figure it out. And we're not really seeing evidence of that. We're also seeing that among voters of color, that there's a pretty systematic pattern where white voters are taking advantage of that opportunity to rank more candidates than voters of color. And I think that's been a real concern about whether this has been a fair process for, you know, the full set of voters. We're talking to Larry Jacobs uh, here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Professor Jacobs, one of the things I think you said in your notes and, um, and you and I talk about, we get asked about a lot is tone and tenor in politics. And what, We've had election changes before. We've had systematic changes. They're big. This would be huge if it happened. Are there concepts out there that have been studied or that are enacted that have made a difference in in civic or civil dialogue? Are there ideas out there that are, are you're still researching or you're you're monitoring to see if they make a change? Because civility in, is one of the things that I, I get asked about everywhere I go. Well, there's no doubt this is one of the biggest issues, and there is a lot of research, and even the research that that, that we've uh, examined, there's a lot more being done. So the, you know, we know that there's a problem that has to be solved. I think one of the concerns I have is that in America, we have a history of getting flustered or angry with our politics and then searching for the magic bullet. To go back a century ago, the advocates for direct primaries introduced it as a way to make sure that elected officials responded to the people. And what we find today is that actually primary elections draw a fairly small turnout, you know, 10, 15 percent in midterm elections, uh, more than that in the general and presidential elections. But most people are not representative. They tend to be the folks with the agendas on the left and the right. And it's not responsive to what most people think. So there's a case where, we adopted a reform. It was well-intentioned, but it didn't move us in the direction of civility and a better democracy. It may have moved us in the other direction. I know you talk to elected officials often on both sides of the aisle. You talk to independent voters. You look at the research. When you think about those issues that come up in primaries, they're similar to issues that each side, when they have power, they amplify or they you know, make bigger. And I'll, I'll just... Use Minnesota in the legislative session as one of the examples. You know, one, obviously with a surplus, rebate checks, populist fiscal issues related to government are the things I get asked the most about. But yet I've told people the things you want to talk about or you want to know about the most are, are the things they get to last. Is that 
dynamic unique to Minnesota or is that historical and does it have, you know, other trends in other parts of the country as well? Yeah, I think this is a national trend. Um, Minnesota is, of course, a little nicer, um, <laughs> but but it's it's a national trend. And you can think about it this way. If you're going to respond to one set of voters, and often the issues are, are of that sort, yep. who are you going to respond to first? The ones who are responsible for whether or not you're going to get nominated and have a chance to run or not? Or to some kind of vague sense of what an editorial writer in the Star Tribune is talking about or what a poll is telling you. You're going to respond to that intense group of people who are responsible for whether or not you're going to keep your job. And those are the primary voters. They tend to be more ideological. They've got agendas. And I do agree with you that if you look at this session, you can see some issues where there's, yes, broad public support, but other issues are clearly geared to some of the, the donors and the volunteers and the activists in the DFL party. And that's our system today. And it's certainly true in the Republican Party, particularly in other states. Uh, Professor Jacobs uh, joining me here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Last question for today. As you look out, obviously the news of Trump being indicted, we're going to learn more next week. But as you look out to 2024... Is there anything that changes the national conversation um, in in the data or in a certain group of voters that could change their minds and decide to have a different discussion in America next year? I don't think the onus is on voters. I think the onus is on our system of elections. And just to extend what we've been talking about, Donald Trump may get indicted once or twice or three times. They may not affect whether or not he's the nominee of the Republican Party, despite the fact that Mitch McConnell and a lot of Republican leaders don't think he's the strongest candidate. They'd like to kind of turn the page and find another candidate who won't be as alienating of independent voters and the voters you need to win the general election. The primary election system is our problem. And I think that's what ranked choice voting is you know, trying to respond to. I think the question is, will it? Professor Jacobs, I know we'll talk more. Uh, as always, thanks for joining us on News Talk 830 WCCO. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Take care. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Joining me now is Peter Callahan from MinPost, and we're at that point in the legislature where they're going to take a break. We're all going to take a breath. And Peter's here to talk through some of the things he's written about that maybe haven't been written about in detail or talked about that voters and engaged observers of the legislature will want to know. Peter, thanks for joining me. Good to be here. Um, One of the things you and I have compared notes on this week uh, was taxes, metro-wide taxes related to transportation and housing. What's the status of sales taxes in general? There seem to be a lot of proposals out there. Well, let's set aside for a minute the multiple uh, bills that allow some local government to increase their local sales tax for some 
specific use because there are dozens of those every year. But the the big ones that are being talked about are specific to uh, transportation and housing. And the transportation House Transportation Committee this week uh, adopted their omnibus bill, which includes uh, somewhere around a billion dollars a year in new taxes for transportation. And that's roads, bridges, and transit. Uh, and there's a couple of things there that are of interest. One is would be the first delivery fee in the state of Minnesota, a 75 cent per delivery uh, charge uh, that would go, say, say everything from an Amazon package to a uh, pizza luce. Um, that raises you know, quite a bit of money. It raises um, two, more than $200 million a year. And uh, that got pushed back from Republicans, but the Democrats come back and say, you know, we should be funding roads and bridges with gas taxes. But basically you have made gas taxes so politically taboo that we can't get there. So we're going with these other sources. Um, that is a statewide tax, as is some increases in car tabs, as is some increases in the motor vehicle excise tax. Um, but then I think that also the most more interesting or equally interesting are two metro area tax increases. And that would be for the Met Council District, which is all or most of the seven uh, uh, Twin Cities counties. And that is a 75 cents on a $100 purchase uh, tax increase for Met Council transit, primarily transit. But, but they added the ability for some roads and roads and bridges money to go to counties because if you get to the outer counties, they're more interested in that than they are in transit. And then a uh, 25 cent on $100 purchase uh, for the seven counties for affordable housing. So one of the things that I think, you know, you look at in the dynamics of transportation, the surplus, is this idea of ongoing revenue. And it has not been talked about that much, but DFLers clearly have this idea and they've constructed a budget that well, will require more revenue in the out years or in future years uh, than they're getting now. Is, is it all in transportation or are there other areas you feel like they're looking at to say, we're gonna need to pay for healthcare, or we're gonna need to pay for something else with more taxes? Well, healthcare not so much because of the provider tax, which was reinstated without a sunset a couple of sessions ago. But the transportation and the affordable housing elements are two areas that really have never, well, transportation certainly has had ongoing, but they think not adequate ongoing because the gas tax is flat and motor vehicle excise tax is flat. Um, it is that uh, housing's never had a dedicated tax. Uh, affordable housing has never had a dedicated tax. It's just weighted every year in the budget to see how much money they might set aside in the budget. Um, and uh, the, the the issue on on transportation is again, as I said, they that the, the ongoing taxes are not adequate. There's shortages and shortfalls in both roads and bridges and in transit, and so they are wanting to put these taxes in as uh, ongoing. And they say, I can't just take cash out of the surplus and throw it in and expect that that's going to keep us going, given that roads and bridges tend to be 20 year investments. And uh, if I sell bonds, I need some source to pay off bonds over 20 or 30 years. One of the other issues I know you've been tracking is the elections bill. And there's been this 
tension, tug of war over what it's going to take to become a major party. Can you bring us up to speed on that? Yeah, Minnesota has what I consider from looking at other states and being in other states, some pretty weird and restrictive uh, rules for what we'll start with our third parties or minor parties, uh, what you have to do to get candidates on the ballot. You know, your petitions have to be on legal size paper. If they're eight and a half by 11 size paper, they're not in, uh, counted. Um, you have to gather the signatures within a very narrow window of time. It's really not as easy as as uh, R's and D's claim to get third party candidates on the ballot. But an easy way is if you get lucky enough or strike uh lightning in a bottle and you get 5% of the vote in a major, in a statewide race, which is what the marijuana legalization parties have, have done. What uh, Ventura's, Jesse Ventura's uh, reform slash independence party was able to do, then you're a major party and you just file a, a, with everybody else and you're on the ballot wherever you have a candidate. Um, the D's want to, uh, D's and R's, at least uh, party-wise, uh, state party-wise, want to increase that threshold to 10% which would make it very difficult. Neither of the marijuana parties would have made it. Um, and their excuse is that, well, people did mischief with the marijuana parties and maybe Republicans, you know, closet Republicans snuck in and filed under those party names. So we have to make it more difficult for them to get major party status. Uh, that brought Jesse Ventura uh, to the legislature to give a very fiery condemnation of this bill. But it appears to be moving forward um, despite uh, Jesse Ventura's opposition and the opposition of most of the what are considered minor parties. We, we look at that and, you know, maybe the marijuana party movement will be null and void if legalized marijuana happens this session. Any update on where that's at? And, you know, do they have the votes in the Senate? Do you think has the Senate been as, you know, positive and in, in projecting that they think they can pass it? Well, it's this is a pretty interesting uh, dynamic in both the House and the Senate. Uh, a lot of times when you're in the majority, you file bills and you let people complain about them and you move ahead. Uh, both uh, Senator uh, Lindsey Port, uh, who's running the bill in the Senate, and Representative Zach Stevenson in the House have been very open to concerns, complaints. Uh, I think we're on the eighth engrossment, which is the term they use when they sort of redraft the bill and, and uh, refile a, a new version. Uh, so it's they've been very open to making changes and it's partly to fix the bill, but it's also partly to gather in the votes they need. I don't think they will have trouble in the House where it has passed before. The Senate is a 34-33 DFL majority. Can't lose a vote if you only want DFL votes. There are Republicans who, who may well come along on that bill, but, but you're right. The, the, the problem, if there is a problem, is in the Senate. That leads me to a question. My guest is Peter Callahan of MinPost. He covers the legislature. There's been some rumblings that there's some growing tensions, not necessarily a battle around leadership, but tensions within each the House DFL and the Senate DFL caucuses. Have you gotten a sense that, you know, the majority isn't as um, as great in feeling uh, as they get down to negotiating some of these things the last few weeks? Uh, well, it, I guess we'll, we will see. Um, Senate Majority Leader Kart Zizek is uh, recovering from cancer uh, surgery. 
uh, that has kind of messed things up there a little bit because she is paying attention and she is uh, uh, voting remotely, but she's not here physically uh, during the week. Uh, you have uh, Nick Friends and Bobby Joe Champion who have sort of the next leadership position. So we're not totally sure who the number one is uh, in person, um, but that may be more our problem than 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 their problem. I think that it is easier to hold a majority together if it's a new majority, which the Senate DFL is, because fresh in their minds are what it is what it was like when they were in the minority just a year ago. So, yes, it's a 34-33 majority. They have been uh, pretty united so far. I think the gun uh, issue will be the one where it will fall, might fall apart, and and smart majority leaders just don't bring bills to the floor that they don't have votes on. And the other is the social security tax and whether the, it is fully eliminated or partially eliminated. Uh, that's another one where I, I, I don't know that they can count to 34. It, it's interesting you say that because I think, you know, both of those issues are obviously headline type issues that voters and folks who read you and read me and follow us ask about a lot. And guns was a big issue at the Capitol this week. Uh, after uh, the latest school shooting, Gabby Giffords in town, et cetera. Grant Housechild, Rob Kupek, kind of the obvious two senators, new senators that are going to face the most pressure on guns. Do you sense around the Capitol that they feel that pressure yet? Or do you think it'll wait till the end or, or they'll have to, as you say, they're not going to bring it to the floor if they don't have the votes, but are they going to try to get the votes with extreme pressure in in a year that there's a lot for these freshmen to digest. Yeah, I mean, the way you get there is you carve the bill down, you pick the the one or two issues uh, that perhaps you can get that support on, you uh, deal with their concerns. Um, But it's uh, on on gun safety, say, uh, extreme risk orders. It sort of doesn't matter what the details of the bill are. You're either uh, not voting for any gun safety bills uh, or you're voting for every gun safety bill. So I'm not sure they can craft those bills in such a way that a reluctant vote becomes a yes vote. Um, yeah, that's the, those are probably end of the session issues right now. They're in the House uh, omnibus bill, but they've been broken out of the Senate uh, Judiciary omnibus bill, uh, which which indicates that there might be some vote problems um, in the Senate. It's yeah, it's end of session. Social Security may be end of session as well. Um, and on that, obviously, a bill that fully eliminates uh, the state income tax on Social Security will get plenty of votes because all the Republicans will vote for it. Yeah. Um, the thing that's harder to get votes for is some uh, additional carve out uh, for sort of moderate income or middle income uh, retirees. That's what the DFL wants to do. And, and I'm not sure right now they have the votes for that in the Senate. Makes sense. The last topic I want to talk to you about is education. Uh, we heard throughout the campaign, fully fund education. That was the theme. We have a surplus. Uh, schools got a healthy amount of new funding. There's some technical new money that is coming in for cybersecurity and stuff like that. But there's two issues um, that have emerged as as a little, I, they're just really curious to me. One is pensions and teachers who 
kind of went into teaching now looking for an earlier retirement at a time when we have a teacher shortage. And then the other is this teacher licensure, teacher certification issue, which would potentially take teachers out of the classroom, especially native speakers of Somali or Hmong, things like that. I know you've followed these. I know your former colleague, Beth Hawkins, wrote about it. Um, At a time when we have this teacher shortage, these seem to be kind of, huh, scratch your head issues that maybe without the media highlighting them, uh, people wouldn't have known we're out there. Yeah, and there hasn't really been as much media on either of those issues as you might think, uh, given the the breadth of them. You know, the retirement issue is not an appropriation, obviously, from the legislature. It goes into, it would come out of sort of the pension system. Um, And the, you know, both of these are Education Minnesota issues. Uh, That's a significant part of the DFL election uh, constituency. Uh, and they are asking for some uh, attention to their issues because of that support. Um, particularly the, the, the pension issue has kind of come around pretty late and the bills only were introduced uh, maybe a week or two ago. Yeah. And, um, and the, the licensure issue just isn't getting as much attention outside of you know, Beth Hawkins uh, stories for us and the 74 um, because education policy like that is so complicated and you know, mainly you spend half your time in the hearings trying to figure out what the acronyms mean um, th- that they all drop around. So uh, the, the, the licensure issue, though, is a, is a difficult one for the DFL because of how many of the teachers who are in tier one or tier three and tier four licenses. And these are sort of non-traditional entries into teaching. You probably didn't go to an education college and get a uh, degree and and you probably don't have a master's in education and you probably didn't take a lot of pedag- pedagogy classes. Um, they t- also tend to be uh, teachers of color uh, and yep. they tend to be in uh, you know teaching kids and teaching programs that maybe uh, are uh, attractive to uh, students of color. So it's a it's a difficult issue for them and and I think if it's done in a in a quiet vacuum, it could well pass, but. Some of the hearings have been interesting in just watching the uh, demographics of the people opposing the bill. And again, we should probably say that the bill would make it more difficult for these people to um, become tier three and tier four teachers and then to be have the ability to move up to tier one and tier two, which is what we would consider sort of the regular full-time teachers. Um, so it's it's definitely a sort of, education uh, insider, education community versus a a seemingly very young uh, and very heavily uh, teachers of color. So it's a tough issue for the DFL. I raise it because these are the issues that uh, they don't get as much attention. They make you scratch your head. It takes a lot of work to cover them, but they can come up later as an election issue, or um, it is one of the issues I find that parents are talking about right is we don't have enough teachers um and districts are struggling with so um it's kind of the work of the legislature and then how it rolls out in the communities and that uh that's probably the way um it it just kind of can surprise i think the legislators later last issue is uh budget targets came out there this week between most people seem happy but 
uh, Republicans um, making a big issue on both nursing homes and agriculture and a couple others. Any chance that they all take a week off and they come back with different targets or they adjust? What are you hearing? Uh, well, it's it's somewhat unusual if you've agreed on a target um, with the House and Senate and the governor that, that there's significant increases in right. spending in that target. I guess it's not impossible or unheard of. Yeah, long-term care, I think, would be the generic term, nursing home, uh, home care, uh, how much you can pay the workers who do those uh, those jobs. There seems to be agreement that there's shortages in those areas, and pay seems to be one of the major drivers of those areas. Uh, but you also have things like paid family leave and uh, uh, paid sick, safe and sick time that cost uh, nursing home and uh, other service providers more money, yet almost every, well, everything they get comes from the state. And if yep. the state doesn't increase uh, the amount of money they pay uh, for each uh, client in those settings, there's no place for that money to come but profits that may or may not exist. So there's been some pushback even in those areas because of the way they add uh, costs to, uh, uh, to to those employers. And, and public schools and local governments are also com- complaining about how, how they will pay for uh, paid family leave and uh, sick leave. So those are issues. And again, these are Democratic constituencies, if you think about it. So yep. they're getting pushback from certain areas. And Elise Mann, the senator who is, who is managing the paid family leave, says, yeah, you're right, but these are benefits that are important. They actually will save you money in the long run from uh, more sick leave and, and health outcomes and health costs. And we're also giving you guys a ton of money right now, all <laughs> of you. And, you know, we kind of need you to... Um, be with us on this very important uh, issue for, for DFL leadership. And we're also giving you a ton of money right now. <laughs> um, so, so it, 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 it's a, that, that's kind of, to me, an interesting dynamic. Um, and I don't know that the DFL gets to the end of session and says, all right, we're not giving you as much money because you keep fighting us on these issues. I don't think that happens, but there is some reminding going on from DFL leadership to these groups. I think that's well said. And uh, we all know that human interest is, oh, by the way, will you do that for more money? And maybe they all just take a deep breath and figure it out. So Peter Callahan, thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. When we come back, the take this week, we're back with this week's take. But first, the Renewable Minute from Minnesota Corn. Did you know that Minnesota was the first state to offer renewable fuels and in fact ranks number one in the country on E15 and E85 fueling stations. That's more than any other state. Minnesota's a leader in clean fuels and we continue to be a leader. Just this last week, members of Congress from Minnesota, Democrats and Republicans introduced in Washington a new bill focused on even cleaner fuels. That's right. It's because of the work, the innovation, and the corn from Minnesota corn growers. If we can't get to a cleaner air through innovation, through local products, through local crops, then what are we going to do? The fact is, electrification of vehicles is going to take time, and we need cleaner fuels. So that's what Minnesota corn leads the way in making sure 
that Minnesotans have access, working with state policymakers, making sure that there's the infrastructure, the pumps, per se, where you can have clean fuels. I'm getting a new car this week, and I proudly put E85 in my car and don't have any issues. It's one of those things that people don't think about as much because it's just the way we do things here in Minnesota. We lead the way with agriculture, with Minnesota corn, in making sure we have a sustainable, cleaner Minnesota air. That's this week's Minnesota Corn Sustainable Minute. To learn more, go to mncorn.org. Well, this week the legislature is going to take a break. It's deserved over the Easter Passover holiday, and it's traditional. But it might be a break that is different. With 35% of freshmen not knowing what to expect on break, they've been working at a breakneck pace. And therefore, they may think they can put their feet up, maybe even go on a vacation, and they should or could. But there are constituency groups out there that have questions. And one of the dynamics of the legislature and politics and policy in Minnesota is that People pay attention to elections. They turn out in record numbers. But when it comes to the legislature, they kind of tune out. It's easy to follow for those who are interested, but it's not interesting for those to follow because of the way in which it works. There's information. And if you're passionate about a topic or an advocate on a topic, you have a team or you can find the things you want in bills or things that you're opposed to. But there's stories emerging about issues that just the public is probably not going to know about until the end of session. One of them we talked to Peter Callahan about, and that is teacher licensure and making sure we have enough teachers. And the idea that we would change policy at a time of a teacher shortage that would make it harder for teachers of color to be teachers. While we're also spending money to recruit teachers of color to Minnesota. It's one of the places where there's a nonsensical imbalance between policy in one area of education that conflicts. My mom would call that common sense. It seems to lack it. And that's not new at the legislature, but it needs to be highlighted more. And ultimately, that's what this session should have more of in the final weeks is highlighting the things that voters cared about or thought about or are still asking about from tax policy to education policy to gun policy. Those are the emails. Those are the questions. Those are the texts and the tweets I get from listeners and readers. And those are the topics that may decide and likely will decide the next election. Next year is a presidential year, and the impending indictment this week of former President Trump will be a distraction, maybe the shiniest of shiny objects going into 2024. Here in Minnesota, it's likely Amy Klobuchar will run for re-election, as long as Joe Biden runs for re-election. And our congressional delegation is relatively set. We may have met council elections, 
But the final weeks of the legislature are going to decide the tone and tenor and issues of the 2024 race for the Minnesota House. And it's all going to come down to six to eight seats. And so pay attention. And for legislators listening, don't get yourself caught in a place where it makes no sense to do one thing when you're also doing another. That's the take this week. I'm Blois Olson. Catch me at 620 every morning on WCCO with Benita, Monday through Thursday. Sign up for our newsletters at fluence-newsletters.com. Have a great weekend and hope you're shoveled out. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 